Welcome to the Yanks are coming soccer show. My name is Carter Krishnayer, joined as always by Neil Blackman. We have a special guest this week, Omar Mumbayad, who is going to help uh, guide us through the wild world of South Florida soccer. Omar is with Magic City Soccer and has a unique perspective on all things South Florida soccer, starting with Inter-Miami CF, the team that will begin playing next season in Major League Soccer. They finally secured a venue, Lockhart Stadium in Fort Lauderdale. They'll demolish the old complex, which played host to the New York Yankees and Baltimore Orioles spring training, as well as the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, Miami Fusion, Fort Lauderdale Sun, and any number of other professional soccer teams through the years, and a number of U.S., important U.S. games, including the first U.S. win over Mexico on home soil back in 1980. Omar, your initial thoughts on Inter-Miami finally having a venue and where they go from here. It's been, thank you guys for having me, I should say, first and foremost. And it's been a long time coming. You know, we've been at this for quite some time. And, and honestly, we're kind of at the point now of no return and I used to say for a long time when I was having conversations about Inter-Miami that I would believe it as soon as I got to see a kind of like one of those like season ticket holder deposit mailers hit me, hit my mailbox or something of the sort. And here we are, you know, at the season ticket deposit stage. And yet there's still so much more left to go. It's just almost incredible. It, it really hasn't gone the way anybody thought it would. Um, but I guess that's really South Florida for you in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose it is. Neil, your thoughts uh, on finally uh, Inter-Miami crossing the finish line, or maybe it's the start, uh, lining up the starting gate, but crossing a line, getting a stadium, and uh, where they they stack up in terms of uh, MLS expansion teams in recent years. (laughs) They're crossing the county line, that's for sure. Well, Uh, that we know, right. They're crossing the county line uh, up to the friendly confines of Broward County as they try to escape the political thicket that is Miami. I, look, um, you know, I've made no secret. I think it's been one of the more disastrous club rollouts uh, in the history of the league. I think that really one of the only rivals in terms of, of you know, a rollout disaster is NYCFC. And it's really remarkable to me because there's so many similarities just in the sense that one club didn't know where they were going to play. Uh, one club really received a lot of plaudits, right, for, for the way that they rolled out their logo and their crest. And, and a lot of the, the like, peripheral stuff uh, was really good. But in terms of how the club was going to work, how the relationship with Manchester City was going to work, where they'd play, if they'd ever get a stadium, all of that was up in the air when they kicked their first ball against Orlando City. Yeah, a match that uh, both you and I were at, Neil. And Orlando City, on the other hand, did a lot right. Uh, in the buildup to um, that first match in, in March of 2015, Orlando City uh, obviously had an established brand from uh, USL. They had a base of players. They brought seven or eight guys up that first year, including Kevin Molino, who was uh, arguably the best player at, at the lower division level in the United States uh, at that point. And um, they had an infrastructure that allowed them now five years into MLS to sustain and grow that fan base. So very different approach. Now, you could say it's similar to NYCFC, but I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I'm going to say, first off, you have a local owner-operator, a uh, right. local operator. They're not owners. We have to clarify that. MLS is a single entity. League. No one owns their club. But a local operator in Jorge Mas who knows the market. And two, they have hired a lot of people who were involved in Orlando, uh, a successful club. Look, MLS, I know people get uh, – bogged down in winning and losing 
and and uh, what people do on the field. MLS is a bottom line driven league. This is a business, and Orlando City's business up until about year three, year four went very well. Now they've got some issues with sponsors and youth soccer, uh, which might generally happen in the marketplace after a few years. But all in all, that's a pretty good launch to emulate. Yeah, I think. Look, I, and I want to get Omar's thoughts on this because I think, you know, he's somebody that that for our listeners that that don't know, somebody that really has you know intimate close connections to to how soccer operates from the business standpoint in Miami too. And I think, look, the hires that they made from from McDonough uh, in terms of soccer office, which the, the Atlanta United connection, I thought was brilliant. Um, kind of insulates them from the criticism that why would you hire Orlando City FC, Orlando City SC uh, soccer people that, you know, they did do some of that, but they also bring in McDonough, which gives you that instant roster buildup credibility. And then they hired Jacqueline Ramos, which um, I think is smart for obvious reasons, not just because, you know, is an experienced communications director, but because she's done it in the expansion context. Yeah, Omar, let me throw it to you and ask you this. Uh, Orlando was able to build one of the reasons they've been so successful. They built a robust supporters culture. And that supporters culture to me, and again, maybe I'm in the minority, but I've, I've been around the front offices of teams I covered. I've been on both sides of the desk a lot. So I, I kind of have a, a perspective on this. Supporters culture and the ambiance and atmosphere of games, I think, are far more important than winning and losing. Orlando built that. Now, you could argue they had built that at the USL level and brought it to MLS, but they did build that. How important do you think um, fans showing up at Lockhart Stadium in, in 2020 and 2021, the Siege and, um, and uh, Vice City, the two big supporters groups for uh, uh, the, the inter-team, uh, being uh, – uh, fun to be around and being robust and being entertaining. How much do you think that will impact whether people uh, continue to come? I look at it. I, this is kind of like a two prong answer. So bear with me and I'm going to, I promise I'm going to try to keep it short. <laughs> right. I don't think the supporter culture is going to matter to the overall success of the team. And the reason for that is the fact that supporter season ticket deposits basically sold out in 24 hours. So I believe that they rolled out the initiative last week, if I'm not mistaken. And within 24 hours, the deposits for season ticket holders were pulled off Ticketmaster and you could no longer buy or put a deposit to get uh, Orlando. I'm sorry, my inner Miami, uh, a season ticket in the supporter section. They, they no longer exist. They're gone. Right. So I think that's always going to be the case. I think the supporters are always going to be there. But the issue is, is you know, are you going to be able to get everybody else there? And I think it's, it is. I think they, they're going to be able to do that. And it does not matter what the quality or, or what the quality shows on the, on the pitch. And the reason I say that is because this is the new hot ticket in town. This, it, it is. There's no, there's no denying it. There's no way around it. And essentially, Jorge Moss and the front office have essentially a three to four year honeymoon now with Inter Miami yeah. coming in. Because you are not going to be able to find tickets on the primary market unless you know, there is some kind of exchange program or things like that with season ticket holders for three to four seasons. It's just not going to be there. It's going to be the hottest ticket in town. Right now at Lockhart, you have the ability to draw people from Southern Palm Beach County, even Central Palm Beach County to drive down, and you're still going to get Southern Miami-Dade County season ticket holders to be willing to drive up. So I think commercially it's going to be a success, and, and there's no question about it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I know, uh, Neil, maybe you have some differences of opinion on this, but I'll say from my experience with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, our best season 
in terms of actual raw ticket sales, it doesn't necessarily show in uh, attendance reported numbers because um, our ownership group in 2015 fluffed the numbers. But um, we was actually the year the team was the worst, 2013. <laughs> Tampa Bay Rowdies, another team here in uh, the state of Florida, they their worst years attendance-wise were 2011 and 2012. 2012, they won the NASL title. 2014 and 2015, as they're struggling in the league, they had their best attendances in their in their NASL period. So I think it depends on the ambiance. It depends on the culture. It depends on whether it's kind of a fun experience for fans. I'm not saying you can lose into perpetuity, but I think Orlando has demonstrated you can lose for a few years and – keep fans on side now they're in year five and fans are getting antsy and we see the uh numbers dropping and more empty seats at orlando city stadium but again they're in year five um neil want to get your sense and then get omar in on this conversation the larger south florida soccer community we've had um some incredible stories down here that have existed and worked hard without mls in the market so you've got the florida soccer soldiers now having defeated two professional teams and now they have a third uh, third round U.S. Open Cup match against North Carolina FC, one of the model clubs uh, outside of MLS and American Soccer, a club that has the best women's professional team arguably in the world connected to it. Uh, you've got Miami United last year making a deep run in the U.S. Open Cup. We've had clubs like uh, Red Force and uh, FC Miami City and Boca Raton FC do very well in regional competition, all uh, with local players, all with guys that um, never got a look in MLS, with maybe one or two exceptions, um, and all with kind of a local grassroots feel. How does Inter Miami complement that scene, or do they trample on that scene as we've seen MLS do in other markets? Well, I mean, I think we're all hoping that they complement it because I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, and, and I know that that seems like kind of a brave thing to say, but. But I mean, you know, let's hope it's like the the Magic City Classical was a couple of weeks ago, where, where you know, I, you know, I don't think that Siege and Vice City supporters groups are going to be coming to Miami United, Miami FC games when Inter Miami starts playing. Um, but I do think that that there's two things working for kind of Miami soccer culture in particular. One is that MLS has never been what mattered most in Miami, even when the Fusion were playing. I mean, it's not. It's never been the, the biggest deal. And I think Omar's right. It's a hot ticket. But things in Miami are trendy like that, and it's you know it's going to be a hot ticket for, for one season. And then is it a hot ticket year two when the team's not that good and you still got to go all the way up to Commercial Boulevard? I, I don't know. Um, and I think the other thing that when you're playing at Fort Lauderdale, you know, the football that's happening in Miami will still be interesting to the communities where it's happening. Um, so I think – those things are going to continue and hopefully inter Miami just complements it by, by offering top division football, um, you know, in South Florida, because I think one of the things that's lonely as a soccer fan in South Florida, maybe, maybe it's just to me, you know, maybe you could make an argument, maybe that I don't pay enough attention to the, to the lower league. So I don't think that anyone that knows me would make that argument. Right. Uh, but I think, you know, I, um, I don't, you know, it, it's hard when MLS starts or when the other leagues end because there's nowhere to go. There, you know, there's no there's no football, and so Inter Miami fills a big a big void in that respect. 
Yeah, I'm going to bring up uh, before we uh, leave this topic, Charlie Stolitano and relevant sports as uh, as a talking point relative to this entire discussion. But Omar, first, want to get your take on uh, what Neil said and that amateur semi-pro landscape, and then we'll get into relevant. I think the problem is structural, and I think it's a big picture problem that we have in the American soccer landscape with regards to the pyramid. And you know what? I'm going to be honest here, and I'm going to call myself a hypocrite from the onset because I was guilty of this too until basically the beginning of the season. I think what ends up happening is a lot of Americans in general look at the pyramid and say, okay, MLS matters, the now defunct NASL mattered, and USL matters, and everything else is minor. Everything else is you know, adult rec league, you know, maybe college guys getting workouts in when they're not playing for universities. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, football here is still regarded in its infancy. And anybody who claims that it's not is not really reading the same book everybody else is. (laughs) Um, So you don't follow the systematic. Soccer doesn't follow the systematic structure that we have here in the United States of high school, college, professional. Right. It doesn't exist. And, and, and really, the closest thing that we have to that is is minor league baseball. But people forget that, you know, USL is professional. It's not minor league. It, it, it is professional. Uh, USL League One now is professional. And a lot of the times I used to regard the MPSL as being very amateuristic and not not being something worthy of respect to the level that it that it that it denotes and you know what i said the same thing about upsl even into the beginning of this year and what ends up happening and what you're noticing here in the local soccer landscape is the upsl has talent the upsl has talent that needs to be brought to the forefront of these other teams and the unfortunate part about the whole situation is the fact that other teams aren't taking the time to scope out what's in their own backyard they're willing to go elsewhere they're willing to pick up older older players that are coming from other leagues and are looking for one last big contract and they're not willing to see the young local talent that they can build an infrastructure around for the long term. There's no reason why guys like Valentin Sabella should be playing on the Florida Soccer Soldiers right now for not having a paycheck. That doesn't make any sense to me. You look around the UPSL and you were mentioning teams like Red Force. Sure, MPSL level, probably, you know, but what ends up happening? The the barrier to enter the market is so high that it's just not it's not doable it's not feasible and then you have situations like the now defunct fc kendall that didn't have a place to go and now they're out of the mix and even you look at miami united and you look at um kind of some of the other clubs boca raton fc and and you kind of take a look and say why are some of these guys like daniel manessas for example who played for boca raton fc and is now with soldiers on this cup run these aren't amateur players. These are guys that could be making a living playing the sport. And they're not being given the opportunity to do so. And why is that? It's because, unfortunately, the people in scouting departments are looking at the UPSL and the MPSL as an adult recreation league. Guys that, you know, may have had some talent at some point in time, but don't harness the talent or the desire to play professionally or to make this their living. And truth be told, that is the furthest thing from the truth. And we're seeing it play out right now. Great great segue, Omar, because um, we've had a lot of pushback, or I've had a lot of pushback on Twitter about, oh, the um, Inter Miami will be the best thing ever for South Florida soccer. They're going to have a free-to-play academy at Lockhart Stadium. I embrace all that. And I, I said during the, the debate between them and FXC, part of the reason 
I, I felt like this might be a very good thing for, for the city of Fort Lauderdale and for South Florida soccer was that academy. But if you're not looking at players like Manessis when he was with Boca Raton and now with Florida soccer soldiers, you're not looking at players like David Ochoa, Miami FC, and the, the defunct Miami Fusion, not the MLS Miami Fusion, but the Miami later Miami Fusion in NPSL. If you're not looking at any number of players that Red Force has had through the years, you're not really enhancing the local soccer culture. If you're just cherry picking 18 and 19 year old guys from Weston and Kendall, elite guys who are in pay to play academies, uh, DA academies, I don't know that you're really. Uh, this remains to be seen what Inter Miami does with that. And quite honestly, you see on the clock too, as far as um, their need to kind of engage some more local players and bring some more local, young local players who play for amateur clubs or play um, in uh, local academies into the fold. Uh, the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, uh, I'm proud to say, did that quite well. Uh, we've had a number of guys, even Ochoa played for our reserve team for a little bit. So we've had a number of guys that eventually made their way into the Strikers family. But that took a couple of years also. The Strikers didn't do it in 2011 when the team launched. It took till uh, Tom Mahler came in 2013. To Kartik, do it. I think. The most important thing and the most frustrating thing is, and I understand this is not like a Miami FC-centric podcast, so I'm not going to rant on this, is that these are guys in the backyard. If Miami FC is supposed to be the biggest dog in town until Inter-Miami shows up, how is it possible that the scouting department or the talent or or whoever's analyzing talent is not putting, is is just not seeing it? You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand the scope being what it needs to be or what it should be uh-huh. or, you know, the scope being further thinking. But I think we would both agree that one of Miami FC's biggest problems right now is lacking a true number 10 or a central attacking midfielder. And Valentin Sabella would be the answer as long as you put him in that kit. And Miami FC yeah. with Valentin Sabella could have been now on this cup run. They could have gone to Charlotte and eliminated Charlotte. They could be now playing against North Carolina FC for the first time since the NASL. And that's the frustrating part about this whole situation. And it just, it there is no other answer that I can come up with. And Neil, maybe you can. Other than it's just a, a blatant lack of respect for the talent that happens to exist at some of these smaller leagues because they're being viewed as, you know, adult recreational leagues. Yeah, I mean, look, there's to me, there's two problems. The first is that there's no incentive to do that type of scouting because there's not promotion and relegation. So I'm not going to get into that whole conversation, but I think it, it, it is, I, I think it's without, without question, promotion and relegation incentivizes scouting of lower divisions. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's irrefutable. I, you know, people who, who, who push back on that point, Neil, I don't understand. I think they're getting talking points from MLSHQ or wherever. So continue. But I, I don't even think that that's a debatable point unless you're so myopic and you're just reading talking points. And then the sec- yeah, well, and then that's so that's that kind of segues into the other point, which Omar already sort of alluded to, which is the 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 perception of a, of a couple leagues is professional. These professional teams will go to their backyards to to do USL scouting. They would go to do NASL scouting. I mean, you get a guy like PC who who lights up Orlando City in an Open Cup game. And you know, within weeks, he's an Orlando City player. So that, that's a great that's a great point. Orlando people were always asking me about strikers players, but they never once asked me about a Boca player or a Red Force player. That's right. A great and point so, so I think I think there's that element to it. But then there's also the 
the definitional aspect of what is your backyard, right? And this is why when I talk about the vacuum, when I talk about that kind of loneliness or emptiness of the soccer fan, there's also sort of a need for top division football in your backyard in order to have, you know, a better chance that they scout those players. Now, I've already said that there's still not much of an incentive to even when they are in your backyard, but certainly when you don't have to drive three hours to see Major League Soccer, um, you know, from from Boca Raton FC, or you don't have to drive the four hours it can often take to get to where uh, Miami United play from, from Orlando City Stadium, right? Those yeah. things matter because that is the backyard. You know, for Inter-Miami, a Miami United player that, that you know, can play a little left back and maybe help the team from a depth standpoint in the grind of the summer, that might make sense to them. And they might have a chance to see that player on the cheap. It's a cost-efficient way of scouting that person. But why is Orlando City going to do that? Yeah, let me uh, transition the conversation now to relevant sports. Okay, Omar, you, you're right. And, and Neil saying that this would be the hottest ticket in town for fans who want local club soccer. There is a segment of fans in this community, in Dade Broward and Palm Beach County, and we're going to get to Premier League in Palm Beach County in a minute, um, that are not that interested in local domestic clubs, club football, and that they will spend $100, $200, $300 to get tickets for Manchester United versus Real Madrid or Barcelona versus Chelsea, but they're not that interested in, um, in, in Major League Soccer or local club soccer, whether it be the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, Miami FC, whoever. Now, is this a major challenge that uh, Inter-Miami has to overcome? Uh, knowing also that relevant, given the relationship between relevant and Major League Soccer, it's likely to put as many games as they can possibly um, afford to put at Joe Ravi Stadium after 2020. Uh, to compete for that entertainment dollar, that soccer entertainment dollar. Uh, I'll start with you, Omar. No, I, I don't think so. And I think the reason for that is the reason for that is it just it, it really depends on who's going to be the face of Inter Miami. Is it going to be a player that can hold every country's banner and essentially, you know, have people be like, that's our guy. He's the Miami guy. He's with us. He's our He's our kind of embodiment of the flag of Miami or of my Patriots or whatever. Um, so that's why I'm saying no. And and I'm saying no as well because I, I think you got to keep in mind that, you know, the, the kids right now growing up, when you're walking around the streets, right, what are you seeing? You're seeing the Messi kids. You're seeing the Ronaldo kids. You're seeing the James Rodriguez kids. You're seeing these European superstars. Why? Because they're accessible. The matches are on TV. These kids are growing up watching these players, idolizing these players. And when that game comes to town, yeah, it might be a $100, $150 ticket. But when is that father or when is that mother ever going to be able to provide their kid access to seeing that player? Even if it's a preseason game, it doesn't matter. Because now they're getting to see their idol in the flesh. And that's not something that you can do in really... You know, that, that it's not cost affordable because you're not going to be able to put you and your kid on a plane to Europe to then get a match at the Bernabeu or at the Camp Nou, you know, or, or, or at the Etihad or wherever to get that same experience. So if you get that experience in your backyard for $100, $125, now that's a deal. However, now if Inter Miami goes out and signs a DP of the stature of, I'm not saying this is going to be the case, but I'm just throwing it out there, James Rodriguez, 
got heaven forbid, a, a, you know, a Luis Suarez or an Antoine Griezmann or somebody of the sort within the first three years, now you see the culture shift. I think you're going to see the Inter-Miami kids with that player on there. And you're going to see kind of this, just the natural progression away from Europe, not completely, because those kids are still going to exist, the Madrids and the Barcelonas, etc. But you're going to see, though, the the meteoric rise of the Inter-Miami kids with that European superstar that is now at the backyard at a more affordable price point. And, Neil, I, I, let me uh, throw this little piece in, because we're talking about DPs and high, high-end DPs. Orlando City... Their first signing, their first DP signing, their first signing was Kevin Molino, who was on their USL team. But their first DP signing was um, Kaká. Now, five years later, you could argue their second really sexy DP signing, Nani, who got mocked, has been more effective in Major League Soccer because of the kind of league it is, where there's not a whole lot of defending going on. Matches tend to be stretched. Your touch... And, and, and ability to uh, keep the ball in tight spaces isn't as important as, as top European leagues. And therefore, signing Nani, maybe not from a marketing standpoint, but from a pure football standpoint, was better than signing Kaká. Does Inter-Miami have to consider the marketing side? Uh, and obviously, they have a lot of Orlando people who've talked about this already in their organization. So you signed sign the Kaká of 2020. Or do you think, well, we want to be effective on the pitch. Let's find that, that, that wide player like Anani that uh, has a skill level that fits this league and could be a, you know, a match winner for us, which is what he's been for Orlando City. <laughs> Omar, I got, I got a Cardiff. See, Cardiff and I do this show together all the time, so Cardiff just teed me up for my, <laughs> for my usual. Like, he knows the answer that I'm going to give. Uh, so, I mean, I think the solution is that you can do both if you sign, like, a Juan Cuadrado, right? And, yeah. And you get somebody that that is more, a little more realistic in terms of is he coming to America at that stage in his career than, than Jaime Rodriguez. And you also appeal to your broad-based Colombian population, which you're going to need to to succeed, assuming you're actually moving back to Miami, which is a whole different discussion. Um yeah, another day, another day yeah. for that. And, and so, They're in Fort Lauderdale for now. Let's just assume that. Right, and I think you, I think you can do so. So again, I think the answer is yes. And and you know, certainly the first year of Kaká in, in Orlando when he was healthy, uh, you know, I thought he played beautifully. But I mean, we'll see how long the, the Nani experiment goes. But I, I think it's a it's a valuable point. And the the key that the distinction that you make is that both players were still household names. I mean, the people that go to right. the relevant matches. They know who Nani is because they've watched the Premier League forever. They've watched, <laughs> right, they've right. Watched, they've watched Manchester United. Right. Yeah. They've watched the World Cup or the Euro. So they, they know that player. And, and you know, I don't, I, I don't think it would be any different with, with Juan Cuadrado. It's essentially signing Robin instead of Batman. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So I think that that's exactly maybe, maybe the way they look. Cuadrado would, would, would tick a lot of boxes. That's, a, that's an interesting name that I hadn't thought of. Um, so let's let's talk transition now and finish on this note, guys. Let's, uh, the Premier League ratings came out this week. Steve Goff, uh, one of the deans of, of soccer writing in this country uh, with the Washington Post, uh, has been tracking uh, in-market Premier League ratings for a number of years. Uh, it's something that we, we look for a tweet every week, don't we, Neil? Um, <laughs> when he puts it out on Monday or Tuesday, um, he's become very geeky about this. Um, <laughs> West Palm Beach finished third overall in the country, 
uh, in terms of Premier leading, League ratings this season on NBC and NBCSN. Again, that's um, a rating. That's a percentage of households in the market watching uh, watching the Premier League. No, that does not mean more people in the West Palm Beach market are watching the Premier League than in the LA market. It just means a higher percentage of them are. But still, that's a pretty remarkable number, uh, a statistic, and something Inter-Miami needs to tap into. Now, the question, guys, and I'll start with you uh, again, Omar, um, are these Premier League snobs? Are these the so-called uh, much maligned Euro snobs that uh, won't go to an MLS match? Or are they people that are uh, – that? Inter-Miami can grab. I think you have two problems with the West Palm Beach media market. One being that geographically in size, it's actually one of the bigger ones because it really does stretch from, you know, Boca Raton all the way north, if I'm not mistaken, to Sebastian, uh, yeah, Florida. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it, it is really a massive market when you think about it. You know, are you going to get if, – if the mass – and, and we don't know whether – you know, where the hot spot is within that massive geographic area. We don't, we don't know, you know what I mean? So if, if really the highest percentage ship is coming from Vero Beach, Melbourne, no, you're not going to get it. That's gonna, it's just not going to happen. But, however, if that market is, is coming in from Boca Raton, West Palm Beach, maybe even as north as Jupiter, yeah, you can go ahead and actually tap into it. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a situation of, you know, these are Premier League snobs that aren't, going to go to matches but you know it, it, it just it all depends because now with putting the stadium in Fort Lauderdale let's say you are in Boca Raton or you are in downtown West Palm Beach now you've now you've got kind of an avenue to go to it would still be a two two and a half hour drive to get to Orlando to watch a match on a Saturday just to turn around and come home afterwards that's a little bit of a stretch but if I tell you it's an hour maybe an hour 15 that, that's it's, it's much more palatable you know what I mean yeah, and, and I actually have some anecdotal evidence here. I have a friend in Boynton Beach. I had no interest in this team being in Miami. He's gone to some Orlando City games. Uh, didn't care. And, you know, it's one of these – I don't have much time for the attitude in Broward and Palm Beach County of, oh, I'm not going to go to Miami. I, I often think that's tinged with some racism too, if I'm going to be quite frank about it, which is why I've been so kind of defensive of Miami, even though I'm a Broward County person in this process of, of inter coming to Fort Lauderdale. So defensive of, of – uh, well, you know, you, you say things about the city of Miami and the politics, but a lot of that is Broward County, white Broward County people uh, uh, using their racial analysis, you know, subtle racism, even though Broward County, believe it or not, is a majority minority county now, as I'm sure Neil is aware of, uh, under 50 percent uh, Caucasian white, as we would call it, or, or, or Anglo white. But um, but in fact, this person told me, oh, yeah, I'm pu- I put down season ticket deposits. I'm going to go now because the team's in Fort Lauderdale. So that's. Um, that's just one, uh, one uh, piece of evidence. Guy's a Chelsea fan, um, but he's going to go to the games in Fort Lauderdale. Wasn't interested in going to Miami. So um, that's, uh, that's a piece of, of anecdotal evidence. Neil, you, your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, I have, I have a lot of thoughts on West Palm as a market. And, and I, you know, I've been pretty consistent in saying that I think that because there's soccer hotbeds in Boca Raton, uh, Jupiter, and Palm Beach Gardens – um, and it's a demographic that really, you know, probably, and Wellington, yeah, by the way, absolutely, and Wellington. And I think you certainly are driving the that TV number is probably driven by those four places. I think that's a safe, yeah. educated guess, and I think that they would be responsive to professional soccer. So I think if you're NISA or you're USL, you know, you should be looking there. If you're in PSL and don't want to be in PSL, you should be looking there. <laughs> um, if you you know, so so I think those are things that 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 
are separate a little bit from whether or not that particular area will support uh, Inter-Miami long-term. But I think you're right. If they're in Fort Lauderdale, yeah, I mean, you know, you can do that. And, and Inter-Miami would do well to make some deals with Brightline, set up a type of shuttle sort of uh, similar to, to what the Heat have done, uh, what the Marlins have done. You know, make sure that, that people have that option too because sometimes – if you could just ride a 30-minute train down to the Fort Lauderdale station and get on a shuttle, uh, it makes life a lot easier when you go to those games. Yeah, I think that's the case. And also with TriRail, um, yeah. it, it, as, as people could tell us, including our friend Drew Houseman, TriRail was always an option uh, for him in Coconut Grove when the Strikers were playing. When Fort Lauderdale was playing at Lockhart Stadium. There's TriRail station pretty close to, uh, to Lockhart. Uh, last question, guys, before we, we, get, uh, uh, we, we close the show. With, in light of the West Palm Beach ratings and, and the great point Neil has made about those four hotbeds, youth soccer, um, I'll start with you, Omar. How much, how important is youth soccer and engaging youth clubs to um, inner Miami success? I, I will say this about Orlando City. Orlando City now, their relationship with the youth clubs in Central Florida has begun to break down, began to break down really in year two, year three after they came to MLS. Now it's, it's, it's really broken down uh, to the point where I think that's part of the reason you're seeing as many empty seats at Orlando City Stadium as you are. I, I, a lot of people, it's just very fashionable and easy for soccer, soccer geeks to say, oh, it's because they, they haven't made the playoffs. Or they haven't been winning. But I think a lot of it has to do with the breakdown in that relationship. So uh, how do you think that's going to go for, for Inter Miami? How critical is it, Omar? I think it's critical to, to scan the local youth soccer uh, scene and then develop your academy through it. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, you know, be a tidal wave and then, you know, pick whether it's Weston or whether it's Kendall and then just absorb the entire, the entire structure and make it now rebrand it, make it enter Miami. But, uh, it, Miami and Miami in particular for the youth local soccer scene is difficult. It's, it's a difficult question to answer. And the reason I say that is because you see soccer academies and I'm, I'm really putting up air quotes as I'm saying this kind of be developed and put in these like you know either in public parks or in these tiny like you know green space facilities and things like that and they're all branded they're all they've got a real madrid affiliation they've got a barcelona affiliation they've got a psg affiliation and the list goes on and on and on to the point where la liga is creating an academy to send kids from south florida youth kids to spain and then branch them off into different clubs because what ends up happening in, in miami is an investor or an owner or an operator pays a license fee to these big European clubs. He gets to brand their name and brand their logo on these kids. And the parents, none the wiser, all of a sudden think their kids are part of Juventus's academy or, you know, Real Madrid's or Barcelona's or whatever. Let me jump in just there for a minute, Omar. And let you, I'll let you continue meeting, but I want to clarify this yeah. for the audience. I recently wrote an article for Sport Business on these lines. The first Barcelona Academy in the country, they have a bunch of them now, but the first FC Barcelona Academy in the country was in Fort Lauderdale. The first La Liga Academy in the country uh, has now opened or will be opened in North Miami. The first full-on PSG Academy in the country was opened in Miami. So uh, three big European entities, their first foray into this business. Uh, oh, and, and, and excuse me, one other one. Arsenal's first extensive program uh, that they developed. Uh, now they have a bunch of them around the country. It was in Palm Beach Gardens. So four big European entities came here to this market first. 
which kind of tells you, one, how fragmented it is, but two, how rich it is for young, young players. So continue on, Mark. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it just, they have to be wise about it. You know what I mean? I think what ends up happening is now, if the, once the Inter-Miami Academy uh, really picks up steam and gets going, I think you're going to see it being the primary, like, it's going to be the goal of destination. These kids are going to want to go to that academy more so than the backyard Juventus or the backyard Real Madrid because I think you're going to you're going to see that intrinsic community kind of kind of that that communal um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for nature begin to develop you know what I mean you're going to be able to have that like I'm playing for Inter I'm part of Inter's local soccer development program academy system whatever it is you want to call it but I think you're going to see that become now the primary place where before it may have been Kendall or it may have been Weston or it may have been some of these other small programs. I think you're going to start seeing the end goal for a lot of these youth kids uh, end up with Inter. Uh, Neil, your thoughts? Well, I just think McDonough is, is the, you know, McDonough and Christ certainly know the value of, of, of that when, when they were both there. And now McDonough knows the value of it with Atlanta. He's seen how important it is to the way that they've grown their, their soccer culture there. And while I think the way that soccer culture will impact the club is different in Atlanta than it is in Miami for some of the reasons that Omar alluded to and some of that just to do with the kind of laissez-faire uh, <laughs> lifestyle in South Florida and, and what's trendy, um, I still think you know you have to have a backbone for your club. So I think it's important and McDonough recognizes that. Fantastic. So thank you guys both for joining us. Omar, thank you. Uh, we'd love to have you back again uh, sometime soon. Uh, where can people find you online? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Mubayat11. Uh, my last name, number 11, you'll likely find me. Otherwise, you can find me through at Magic City Soccer on Twitter and Facebook. And over on Instagram at Magic City Soc. That's S-O-C. Yeah, and uh, check out Magic City Soccer. They're doing a number of cool things, not only covering local uh soccer from the grassroots level on up to inter miami and miami fc at the professional level in south florida uh but also providing match coverage of, of uh, uh palm beach spartans miami fc uh, miami united red force uh florida soccer soldiers who i think everybody knows now uh among other clubs so uh check out their good work uh neil where can we find you on social media yeah you guys can always find me at nw blackman on twitter uh, you can also follow the website's master account at Yanks are coming and we'll have a uh, announcement about some of the things that, that we're doing um, in terms of, you know, ratcheting up regional soccer coverage on the site uh, pretty shortly. Fantastic. You know, and uh, you can find me at KKFLA 737. Check out the Yanks are coming soccer show wherever you find podcasts. I know there was some confusion a few weeks ago about where to find us. We're, we're listed everywhere again now, thankfully. So Apple podcasts, wherever else, you get your pods, you will find us. And for Omar and Neil, I'm Cardic. Thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you soon.